0: On this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll continue our discussion about the current drug shortages and the impact that they have on clinical practice. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient and Practicing Internist. Joining me again is Dr. Mito Sutaria, Senior Vice President for Contract and Program Services Pharmacy at Vizient, and Dr. Stephen Lucio, Senior Principal for Pharmacy Solutions at Vizient. So, Mito, what are the biggest challenges in dealing with these shortages?
1: Yeah, I'll just say one of the biggest challenge is not knowing why some of these shortages are taking place. There is just lack of transparency and then lack of redundancy in the marketplace today, not knowing how long that shortage will take place. If you think about the Adderall example, some of the manufacturers said, well, it's due to the labor shortages. But we don't know the true cost. Is it the API? Is it the labor shortages? Is it the quality issue? Is it the capacity? Is the demand increasing? All of those things could be compounded into a shortage, but we don't know once that shortage occurs, how quickly are we going to solve it and how are we going to solve it? And I think that's one of the big challenges in managing shortages.
0: You bring up a very good point on reference to capacity as well. And we've seen pretty much in every industry, there's issues with workforce and particularly with ancillary services and people working that area. So I think there's credit to that. And truth is, it's completely justifiable for adult patients to be on these medications. But is there an opportunity to take a pause and reevaluate if they need to continue on these drugs? And perhaps when these things happen, it's an opportunity as us as clinicians to just take a pause and using shared decision making with our patients, say, do you really need to be on this dose. Perhaps we could bring it down. Let's see what a drug holiday does. I'm not saying that patients don't need them. I just think it's probably a time to reassess on dosing and extended care of these kinds of medications as well.
1: That's absolutely true. That is an opportunity as providers. We can look at alternatives. We can look at switching therapies or managing therapies differently. But there are also other challenges. If you think about some of the oncology drugs, where they're part of a protocol and the patient must have them. And there's really not an alternative or a situation where you can reduce a dose because it is part of a protocol and it is necessary for the medication to be administered to that patient. So yes, absolutely. I agree with you that there are probably things we can do as providers and have those discussions with the patients. But there are certainly some of those challenges for some of those critical and essential medications where there really truly is not an alternative. And our providers are put into a position where they have to make some really challenging decisions for patient care, unfortunately. Christian to the choir.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's a very good point for a couple of reasons. Number one, a lot of these shortages have historically taken place with generic medications, medicines that are older. And Tom, as you know, when a medication becomes generic from a provider standpoint, there's probably less scrutiny from the standpoint of how are we using the drug? Because when you're talking with branded novel drugs, they're usually more expensive. And so there's a lot of judicious analysis in terms of, is this the right medication to be using? Payers get involved, et cetera. And that goes a a little bit when we have generics because, well, the price is not as much of a barrier. But we do see when we have shortages that hospitals, health systems do implement strategies to more focus the use. And like you were mentioning, we're almost a stewardship approach. Right. So it is evident that maybe we can do a little bit better in terms of even using older drugs and being a little bit more discretionary in terms of how we use them because we do find that we can and we are able to preserve patient care as much as possible. But there are circumstances where The shortages are very prolonged. Like Mitchell says, we don't have transparency into how long they're going to last and what becomes a week, this later a month or three months or six months. And the shortage is ongoing. So it's not just of the initial medication, but it's of all those other therapeutic alternatives that might have been utilized. And that's really what we've got to address and what we are working to address in terms of increasing the information. And then I think there's one other element. And we've really gone through a lot of difficulty here at Vizient trying to figure out the best way to describe this. No one likes to use the word hoarding. There's a lot of negative connotation with that. So we tried to utilize the word emotional purchasing because you're trying to take care of a patient and you can't. You might be emotional, but that was not received very well. So we've come up with the term of anticipatory purchasing. (laughs) And it's fully understandable because, like Mithil said, if you don't have transparency and you're trying to take care of patients and patients who need Adderall or patients who need an oncology medicine, you're going to try and get as much of the medicine as possible. And so when that happens, what we see is purchases that far exceed what was prior to shortage. And so the supply chain not only is trying to recover from the initial shortage or the disruption, but now trying to decipher and figure out exactly how much of that excess demand or that increased demand is truly real. And so we have, because of a lack of information, a very challenging time trying to recover from shortages once they take place.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Stephen. I think just like Dr. Tom asked earlier, one of the biggest challenges, that lack of transparency and clear communication from all stakeholders. You talk about the suppliers, distributors, providers, down to the patient, that communication needs to be there along with the transparency, because without it, it leads to that uncertainty and panic in the marketplace.
0: So, Stephen, how did COVID impact medications? It was
1: different
2: than we thought because when we first had COVID, we were very concerned. I mean, the market in general was very concerned about what impact the supply of medications would be given the fact that a lot of the generic medications or at least the active pharmaceutical ingredients come from other parts of the globe. Frequently, China and India are referenced as being the originating point for a lot of generic medications. And so there was concern that they were just going to shut down or since the pandemic was very present and prominent in China, that we were going to have severe disruptions. And there is obviously reason to be concerned about that. However, that's not really what we saw at the onset of the pandemic because one of the things you have to keep in mind is medications, unfortunately, because of the transparency issues we talked about in the first episode, it's not really known where medications are manufactured. There's a lot of manufacturing plants that are in India or China or different parts of the world, but that may not be where a specific medication is coming from. In fact, the FDA does not even know per lot of a medication where it was manufactured. Now, they have the ability to go back and get that information and they inspect, all the places, but per a specific lot of medicine, they don't know at the time that it hits the U.S. where it originated. And so because of that, even before the pandemic, we were looking at where medications actually originating. And the interesting thing is that a lot of our medicines that we use in the hospital, the acute care setting, actually are manufactured in Europe or the United States. And so that sounds
0: better, but in some cases that may not always be good either. That is fascinating. So when Vizient looked into the situation, what did we find?
1: I would say that we found that there was just no visibility or very little visibility into where some of the raw material was coming from, where these manufacturing locations were, as well as for those medications that we thought were potentially going to be in high demand because of the pandemic. What was the availability going to be for those products over the next three months, six months, and 12 months down the line? How are each of these plants going to be impacted? And what was going to be the available supply, unfortunately? One of the things that Vizian did along with his contract as suppliers is did a survey where we had amazing participation rate, close to 100%, where the suppliers responded back, providing us insight as to what they anticipated their ability to supply the market was. But unfortunately, that was just looking at their capacity, their volume, and their ability to supply. And those suppliers did not know what was the market demand and market availability for the same product and the raw material as well. So what we found is, yes, there was a lot of uncertainty in not knowing as to how the product availability was going to be impacted over the next six to 12 months.
0: So this would lead someone to believe for many people in our own country that we should only use medications within our own U.S. borders, right? That would be one thought And
2: there's definitely advantages to having that, and there's definitely been a lot of interest since the pandemic in bringing more manufacturing to the U.S. But we also must acknowledge that that is not necessarily a solution for some of the challenges that we have when it comes to supply disruptions. Because, for example, and as we saw this before the COVID pandemic disaster, you may remember a few years ago, there was a hurricane that hit Puerto Rico, and there's been other hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico happens to be a place where there's a lot of manufacturing plants for various reasons. So obviously that's a threat. When a hurricane blows through, depending upon how redundant the capabilities are, that could disrupt the supply of medications. Also, if you look over the history of the last 20 years of shortages, like we were talking about in the first episode, there have been issues with some of our manufacturing plants. There are some plants in North Carolina, Kansas. There was just recently a manufacturing plant shut down in Irvine, California. So having more U.S. manufacturing capability would be great. And just having more capability of manufacturing and capacity for critical essential medications is very important and people are working on that. But it's not just the geographic location because really the focus has to be on maintaining high quality because that's where we've had the majority of issues, you know, going forward. And then also having a geographically dispersed capability because, as I mentioned about COVID, the shortages or the supply constraints that we saw at the first start of COVID really weren't that directly At least as much as we could tell, that directly related to China or India, because, again, a lot of the medications we were needing at that time were not coming from those locations. They were coming from elsewhere. In fact, one of the places they were coming from was northern Italy. And I don't know if you remember, but one of the places where COVID really started and really shut things down at the beginning of the pandemic was Italy it was Europe. And so you would think, oh, well, Europe, that's better and that's safer. Not always. So we have to have multiple mechanisms to try and steel ourselves against all of these different challenges that present themselves.
0: Mental and Steven, great episode. And we'll continue our discussion in our next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Mental or Steven in their email addresses shown in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email. Modern Practice Podcast at visianinc.com. We've posted the link in our resource section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Bilanueva. Thank you so much for listening.